0: hey this is andrew stewart jones i play christmas allen on gotham and you are listening to gotham tv podcast
1: this is victoria cartagena i play renee montoya on gotham and you're listening to gotham tv podcast
0: Welcome to episode 22 of Gotham TV Podcast, the unofficial podcast about the TV show Gotham and all DC-related uh, news. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, John. Hi, and I'm Derek. I'm your other host. And tonight we will be looking at the fourth episode of Gotham, aired on Channel 5 uh, this Monday,
2: titled Arkham. Uh we'll uh, we'll discuss everything about the episode, so I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, well I think um on to the news. Right, well, uh, one of the other comics companies that we won't, won't name <laughs> on this uh, released a ton of news last week about their movies. Um, we talked about the DC uh, schedule, of movies that were being released. Uh, so the other company released a, a significant amount of news last week. So, um, so there was a very, a very scant amount of news about Gotham and uh, and the DC connected universe. But one piece that we did pick up was the uh, was ratings, which I'm going to talk about, which I delight in talking about. And John told me to stop, but of course the week after he tells me. When to stop, they release uh, a big, big news. So I'm going to talk uh, about it. <laughs> we. Well,
0: <laughs> Derek, I believe it was you that said I don't want to be that podcast that talks about <laughs> ratings. I did. and you're talking about ratings. So I did. I'm just trying to like pull you back from the uh, the ratings obsession.
2: But there is one very big piece of news that we have to talk about,
0: as they said in that trailer that was also released by that other. ...comic universe that will not be named, and that's not a conversation I need to have.
2: (laughs) Nor does Gotham. Yeah, I have no strings, John, you can't pull me back. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, in the Gotham universe, uh, the uh, the numbers were released for the first month of viewing uh, of the pilot episode of Gotham... And wow, they have announced that 22 million people saw the pilot episode of Gotham, wow. which is phenomenal numbers. Uh, I think it's the first time I've ever seen numbers reported in this way. Uh, generally, you see a uh, pilot will have an episode. following day, they release the numbers. You might get the pilot plus a couple of days. It's hugely important for a series like Gotham that they announce their numbers um, in the way they have, like this, where they say 22 million people you know, have watched the episode or 22 million times it's been viewed very important distinction there uh, because you know they've essentially sold these rights on worldwide they've sold the rights on to Netflix uh, in uh, in worldwide to broadcast the show after it's been uh, shown on the terrestrial channels i suppose you call them um so showing these ratings to to those companies shows their investment was was a good investment well absolutely and it, it's great
0: news from that point of view uh, a quick question oh man of statistics mm. and ratings yes um the higher they are, the further they potentially have to fall by looking at them across all platforms. Mm-hmm. Could any potential drop maybe be exaggerated because it's being looked at on, in terms of live viewings, in terms of plus three-day viewings, in terms of other you know, download video-on-demand viewings such as through the, the Fox um, Hulu? Yep,
2: yep 100%. Um, that is exactly what will happen. Uh, what will happen, essentially, is if they don't continue to report these numbers every week, uh, what the monthly ratings were for the previous episode, the only thing they can report on is what the weekly numbers are. Uh, and you will have, essentially, we know that 8 million people tuned into the first episode on Fox when it was broadcast on the twenty second of September. And that's and Nielsen now, stuff. Uh, yes, that's a, that's a rough calculation. It's not oh, actually okay. Nielsen, but it's, it's a rough calculation that, that the network would do. Um on how many people and and roughly work it out, uh, because of the way technology has gone, Now you actually can get a really good read on how many people watch an episode at a time. If you report twenty two million now, if you don't report that next week that twenty one million watched it or twenty million watched it, then suddenly it will look like there was a huge drop off after the first episode. So it's a difficult game to play, but I I would presume we're probably going to see this once, and this is the one time we're going to see it. How many people were interested in the show before uh, they saw the first episode? uh, Great statistic, really, really like the numbers.
0: And again,
2: I promise we won't talk about them for quite a while longer now. So I promise, I didn't promise last time. John promised you that he was going to stop me talking about them. but i Yeah, and I failed miserably. You, but... you failed this podcast, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: wrong TV show. In non-number related news, um, this week we have that um, the Constantine showrunner, David S. Goya, who we've been talking about quite a lot recently, um, is reportedly working on a show called Krypton. So if he's not busy enough um, with Constantine and making sure that that's running all smoothly and keeping the numbers on that and exec producing it um till the cows come home he is also now working on krypton which apparently seems to be the superman version of gotham in a planet uh before the superman might be the tagline here and so people really are guessing uh whether this is actually a a pre-man of steel or a pre-superman
2: tv show what do you reckon about uh this uh no this will not happen uh, i'm i'm pretty much convinced this was a this is almost fan fiction level uh, of, of guesswork. Uh, the TV show that he's working on is potentially called Krypton. Again, reportedly working on uh, it's is called Krypton. This led people to speculate. A pre-baby Superman version of Krypton, it sounds so out there as an idea. It sounds like someone went, well, they can have Gotham without Batman. Can we have a Superman series without, uh, without Superman? It doesn't sound like something that's realistic. David S. Gore, we met him. If you guys haven't listened to the interviews that we put up this week, I hope that was a nice surprise for you all that we put up the interviews this week. Absolutely. Uh, but if you haven't listened to them... Surprise we, me. Yeah, we talked we talk to David <laughs> S. Uh, it was a lot of work that surprised John. Um, we talked to David S. Gore. He's totally dedicated to uh, to, to Constantine. It seems to be getting really good reactions since it was released. Um, he's pretty much going to be working on that for a number of years, I would say. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, and this show, Krypton, if he's doing anything with it, he's doing a basic outline because someone's asked him to. I really can't imagine that it's that this idea of uh, what the planet Krypton was like before Superman left is, uh, is a great one. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, really, I think
0: that's then the news, really, for this week. I mean, no thanks, opin- Marvel.
2: No opinion on Krypton? No?
0: I think I'll wait till I see it arrive or get a bit more hype yeah. or even at least a pilot I think at the moment it's kind of interesting news to to put out there that this has been talked about but yeah i agree with you i think ultimately who knows yeah. um he's obviously yeah. got his his hands full of with constantine at the moment who knows what kind of film projects he might be working on as well i think you'd probably write be at best it's an outline at worst, it's just complete speculation because we've got Gotham, yep. which is pre Batman, and this is going to be Krypton, pre Superman. Um, I don't know, maybe we get to find out more about Zod and his upbringing um, mm. and how he becomes evil. Actually, that would be quite a nice thing. Oh, right? okay. I quite like that. But um, just otherwise. Cause just because
2: you're in the room with David Escobar, you think yeah. you can write the TV show? I otherwise.
0: So. <laughs> no. But otherwise. Um, Thanks, Marvel, for ruining our news section. Yeah, yeah. Still got 10 minutes <laughs> Exactly. Because <laughs> we talked about ratings. Right. And, and a non-existent yeah. show. Yeah, I like so, it. So, brilliant. Excellent. I think the news is done.
2: I think we should just say that if you haven't downloaded our interviews from uh, from New York Comic Con, um, they are available. They should be in your feed. If you're subscribed to us, if you're not subscribed to us, go to the website, listen to the interviews from New York Comic Con, where we talk to all the cast of Gotham and... The, uh, and uh, Two members of the cast from uh, from Constantine and David Esquer, we can call it news. It's our news, uh, and I hope I hope our listeners enjoyed it. Uh, if you have any feedback or have any news that we may have missed, email us at feedback at GothamTVPodcast.com. And with that, I think we can move on to the review of Arkham. So here we are at episode four of Gotham, uh, episode called arkham uh directed by tj scott and written by ken woodruff and i'm going to just quickly preface this by saying thank you gotham uh, for coming back after the episode three you might have recognized that we had some little little clash on where we were last week uh john do you want to give a bit of a synopsis gotham episode four titled arkham sees the
0: show picking up straight from last week's episode with Oswald Cobblepot reiterating his warning to Jim Gordon that there is a war coming to Gotham that will tear the city apart, bringing the city to its knees as it descends into chaos. With Jim and Barbara having relationship difficulties, he is assigned with Harvey Bullock to investigate a series of counsellors who are being picked off one by one by a hitman called Gladwell just as a crucial vote is imminent in the council chambers on the future proposals for the Arkham district of Gotham. However, this plan for Arkham is split between the plan originally proposed by the deceased Waynes and now supported by the Myrrh. But there is another competing plan. Behind these plans are the apparent competing interests of the Dons Falcone and Moroni. But there are also other interests that appear to be at play, as Fish Maroney seeks to recruit a beautiful woman as a weapon, and Oswald Copplepot orders a robbery on his new employer, Maroney. So yeah, Oswald then gets a job, a new job, a promotion, out of um, the the chaos and the, all the pieces that are left after this. Robbery that he ordered, and obviously unbeknownst to Maroney. So, I mean, that's kind of what
2: I call style, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely working your way up. Um, yeah, no, it's a really interesting episode. I must say this is uh, this is probably a, f- a far better episode than episode three. I think it's one of the best episodes so far this season. Uh, I really like the machinations that are going on in the episode, um, particularly with Oswald. I like that he is such a he's a background character, and he's he's really kind of made, stating his claim here uh, from the start.
0: Yeah, I mean, I certainly in comparison to last week's episode, I think this is really good. I think the actual case is fundamental to the more serialized or the bigger picture elements. And in a sense, that's what I kind of like is they've they've kind of panned back and are giving and showing us the scope of these bigger battles going on between Moroni and Falcone in this episode and I really enjoyed that. I thought it was um, I'd say better than, than last week's definitely for that purpose Absolutely. and the villain or the investigation linked into that broader uh, canvas that was being shown to us. So in that regard I really enjoyed it and again I have to say there are elements in here that are, are just some fabulous scenes and fabulous bits of dialogue that I really enjoyed yeah. Um, and that's what keeps coming back for me certainly at this moment in time for Gotham is that there are some amazing scenes within the episodes and for me with this there is that great balance between the investigation of the assassin by Jim Gordon and Harvey Bullock Mm -hmm. with these bigger elements going on in Gotham.
2: Totally agree. Totally agree. And I think this is this is one of the one of the best things I've seen so far in Gotham is, you know, yes, it's an investigation. Yes, it's a case of a week, but this is something that is playing into the overarching story of Gotham for the first time really. Uh, there's a really deep seated uh, storyline there. I'm really impressed with it. Um, but let's talk about that opening. Um, well, exactly a great I, moment uh, you know it's a great sh- moment, but quickly it
0: is an opening that picks up immediately from the last episode, the last episode in effect. The ending shows you the opening to this week's episode yep, rather love. than the other way around.
2: Absolutely. I love when they do that in, in drama shows. It's something that probably you see in, in soap operas very often. Uh, so that's why it's not used very often in dramas. Uh, I love this. We were very lucky. And this is, I promise, this is one of the last times I'll ever mention New York Comic Con uh, until next year. <laughs> okay, it might not be. But we saw this with an audience. So we saw the opening uh, directly following on from last week's episode Uh and this lead-in with uh, with the the killer, uh, who's who is unnamed in the show, um, we saw this with a big audience. It's amazing to see that kind of reaction from an audience. Really, uh, the the, terif- the how terrified they were when the killer arrives, and how delighted they were with the interplay between. Oswald and and Jim Gordon at the beginning of the episode, yeah, no, absolutely, really good, really um, good fun. But just quickly so
0: tell everyone what you mean by the unnamed killer, because he is given a
2: name. He's given a name, but he t- he stole that name from a dead uh, guy. Exactly. So we will we will we will talk about it as we go. I didn't want to didn't want to give you all the details straight up front. There's no point in listening through that. But yeah, the, the the interplay between Oswald and Jim at the beginning of the episode, I suppose, is kind of our first. Our first focus point, let's let's call it that. Great um, stars. Yeah, well, Oswald has called himself Peter, but this
0: time it's Peter Humboldt. Oh. Um, and uh, obviously has been in touch previously with Barbara Keane, unbeknownst to, to Jim. And that's certainly what I get, that he's arranged this meeting to come to the door after um, corresponding with her either by okay. telephone or maybe by letter or meeting her previously. I kind of get that feeling from... The whole thing, where it's, I think Barbara says, "Um, it's really, oh, it's finally, it's finally nice to to meet you," as though she has known, um, about this person, Peter Humboldt. Okay, all right, interesting, and not how I took it. She doesn't know that this is Oswald Gobble.
2: Agree, agreed, agreed. Yeah, even no. though
0: that name has been brought up between her and Montoya, absolutely. So that I kind of thought was. An interesting element to it. Whether that was the case, I'm not entirely yeah, sure, but I certainly got that from it. Uh, not
2: how I took it. I think I, but the way I took it was that it was very much that Byron never hears anything about people associated with Jim at all. Um, and this guy introduces himself, Randomer arrives at the door, knocks on the door, seems very friendly, and introduces himself as a work friend of Jim's. And she's kind of going, okay, work friend of Jim's, a work friend of mine, or a friend of mine. Um and is finally delighted to meet someone from, from Jim's world that he's okay, been keeping maybe, secret yeah, from.
0: Maybe it is that way, but yeah. I have to say there was an element where I suddenly thought, had he kind of been talking to her, and that's ultimately then what leads not only to Jim's freak out because Oswald Cobblepot mm-hmm. has stood there in Gotham after he told him never to come back, Absolutely. but also that somehow he's managed to uh, get to... The apartment where he lives with his girlfriend, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to him. Yet it seems less of a surprise his arrival um, to to Barbara than than to him.
2: Yeah, it is nice to see that Barbara actually leaves the leaves the apartment. This episode, she hasn't really left the apartment, despite the fact that she says to Jim she's she's leaving a couple of times. Montoya finds her there smoking pot last week essentially in the apartment yeah i don't know whether she ever leaves it's nice to see that she leaves uh this episode
0: absolutely i think it's certainly good that she leaves the apartment um we were worried about her that yeah. she was you know maybe just closing off from the world by staying up in that apartment mm-hmm. but i think ultimately this leads to a great scene from this episode between jim gordon and Oswald Cobblepot down in the alleyway next to their apartment building.
1: Mm-hmm. I think
0: this is really good. I really love the intensity that that Jim has. I love the dubious uh, nature that suddenly floods into the character of of Jim Gordon, where he's kind of says, "I should have killed you," you know, or "I should put a bullet. I should put a bullet in your head right now." Um, you know, okay, Cobblepot thinks that he won't, but. You know, this is an aggressive and almost a betrayed Jim Gordon. He told Oswald, don't come back to Gotham under any circumstances, because if you do, I'm dead, you're dead. Anyone I love and care about is dead. Mm -hmm. So this is him completely and utterly angry. And I think it's a really good, intense scene. Now, he calms down after a while. But I I really really love it.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's a great scene, and, and there's there's something really good at play here with Ben McKenzie in this scene as well. I think there's a really good terrified piece about him. He's not just angry, he's not just threatening Oswald. He's looking around him in every direction in case somebody overhears the story of the fact that he sent Oswald out of the city. The fact that if Moroni and or sorry if if Falcone hears about it, um, they're both dead. And he's saying this out loud. He's he's obviously angry enough that it's a loud conversation, but he doesn't want anybody to hear. <laughs> you know, he's he's terrified that somebody might hear. Excuse me, that's a better way. But that's what it. I
0: mean. It's it's an anger coming from the fear of what this means mm-hmm. that he has come back and he has made himself known to Jim. I mean, he could have come back and not done Absolutely. anything, um, never showed himself or whatever maybe gotten picked off eventually, and Jim, unbeknownst, could have gotten coshed over the back of the head, put in the back of a, <laughs> um, a car, and dumped in the river himself yeah. without him knowing. But this is like telling him, I'm here, now you know. So that fear um, becomes part of Jim, and that's why he's angry. And yeah. um, it, It's
2: that ang- anger. In fact, he makes the point in this line here where he essentially says to Jim, I'm back, use me, and why should he use me? You want to save Gotham? I can help you. I can be your secret agent. Until Falcone finds out you're alive. Nobody looks for
1: a dead man.
0: But I do also wonder whether behind all of this, there is a double bluff coming from Oswald, that Jim Gordon is essentially his Joker card. <laughs> um, it's his It's his power card. Mm-hmm. Um, he is saying, trust me, I can... Um, help you. I can be a snitch. He's, in, he's this...
2: introduced to the snitches for Montoya and Allen already. So yeah. Yeah.
0: We have this here again. Use me. But part of this as well is I think he is obviously using Jim Gordon here. I think he is setting up the whole reason why Jim connects with this investigation. He talks about this war that there will be so many deaths I can be your secret agent, as you say, no one um, looks for a dead man. But this idea that war is politics by other means, and politics is just money talking Arkham, he tells Jim. Mm -hmm. Arkham, of course, after Jim asks, well, what is it? And to me, in these few lines, I just wonder, is Oswald Copperpot teeing up Jim Gordon um, for this investigation? and then how it plays out. I wonder if he is being used and he's being set up down that line of inquiry right from the outset. And I think we'll probably explore this a bit further later yeah, yeah. on, because it's kind of one of my theories of this particular um, episode, is that Oswald is setting Jim up here on this investigation. Yeah. Um, and whether he... Is causing the investigation effect.
2: Well, absolutely absolutely. No, there's definitely definitely some stuff that'll play out as we go through. Um Oswald is definitely making a play here. This is this is probably the biggest play we've seen him make since he returned to Gotham. He's putting his plan in motion essentially. Um you know, that that's what it feels like. It feels like that that scene we talked about in episode two where he's sitting staring at the at the plans of Gotham. Um, you know, we talked about it last week where essentially part of that plan was to move in a moroni because he didn't know much about that side of that side of uh, of Gotham, um, he knows all about Falcone and knows all about Fish Mooney, um. Now he wants to move into Moroni's side of of Gotham uh, and wants to learn about that and and make his move with all those pieces in place essentially. So, uh, yeah, really really interesting. Uh, we then get introduced to the wonderful character uh, of of the unnamed killer, um, also known as Richard Gladwell. So as, let's yeah.
0: call him Richard Gladwell. Right, well, or we'll just Gladwell. Out. We'll
2: start out as Gladwell yeah. then. Yeah, but he is an unknown killer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's essentially it's he's played by Hakeem Kai Kasim. Um really interesting character. He's he's terrifying on screen. Yeah. Um, and I know that for a fact because it was as we said, ten thousand people who are watching it at the same time as us, um, in a in a big room who were all terrified by him. It was a brilliant scene. Um, really, really good. He's hired essentially by somebody. We'll probably posit on that as we go along, but his targets as they go along, uh, are two councilmen and the mayor. Um he's and his... this is the we're introduced to
0: him taking out councilor jenkins mm-hmm. and his aide and he has that pokey eye eye pokey thing um <laughs> this is definitely really... something that terrified you yeah it did yeah well no right. i think everyone has that i think and that was just don't look down that <laughs> um you know just please i was kind of there going please um councilman's aide please <laughs> don't look down that thing it can't be good it's got studs on the outside. It doesn't look like a telescope. <laughs> um, why would you? Do and not then, look into that yeah, invention. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and it was kind of... That was... Yeah, it was just like creepy... Bolt that comes out and into the eye, and it was just like, oof! It's kind of like it's almost like dentistry, but <laughs> involving the eyes or something. So it was really, really good. It made me squirm. Oh, definitely!
2: Um, what a great introduction to the character, though. Really, really good. Um, re and and again, I don't know how they're getting away with this at that time of the day, uh, in, in or that time of the evening in the US. Uh, over here, it's after nine PM, obviously. So uh, there's uh, you expect a bit more violence um, than probably the show's going to deliver at times. But the murders that. This guy commits. Fanta or, or like sorry, fantastic in a, if, if you like that kind of thing. Um but you know, he he kills two guys with uh, with um pinpricks to the to the eye and he sets another guy on fire, you know? Um as a warning. It's it's a it's a really interesting.
0: Yeah, and yeah, he sets Counselor Zella um on fire um at Arkham Asylum. This is where we get to see the the building that is Arkham Asylum. We get to see The ornate gateway in with Arkham Asylum written within the wrought iron. Mm. Really iconic kind of look. Again, such an uh, uh, influence coming from source material, I think, here. Mm. And for sure, it looks really, really good. And I do think that the question um, that we have to ask here as, as an audience is, who is employing Richard Gladwell? Absolutely. The unknown killer. Who is employing this hitman? to bump off the councillors. Go on. Um, Go on. Positive theory. Well, I'm saying is because ultimately the way it pans out, and I think this sets up the investigation uh, of these murders for Harvey Bullock and, and Jim Gordon to uh, investigate, ultimately leads them down a route, which is suggesting that Councillor Jenkins was in the pocket of Falcone. Mm-hmm. And was taken out by the hitman on the orders of Mm Moroni in order to essentially even out and level uh, or um, weight the vote in the council chambers to uh, Moroni's big plan um, for not only Arkham, but for his entire family and mobster organization to compete even more directly with Falcone. And then, on the other hand, there is the murder, then, almost immediately, almost, you could argue, as a retaliation of Councilor Man, Zeller, who, um, he actually says, as the fire is about to mm-hmm. burn his his lovely hairdo, um off the top of his head, um, he says, tell
2: Falcone I'll change my vote. In fact, he says, tell Falcone I'll change my vote, I'll vote with the mayor. So indicating, again, that everybody knows that the mayor is in cahoots with Falcone. It's quite an interesting scene. It
0: is. and But there is the, this is a revenge. You have the whole speech coming from this scene with Gladwell saying, you know, I normally like to keep things simple. And mm-hmm. um, my father said that that was the most elegant way. Um, but the customer is all, always right. And I have been told to send a message. Yeah. As he sets Councillor Zeller on fire in a metal drum. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is then supposedly Falcone evening out the votes again on how Arkham and the plan for Arkham will transpire within Gotham. Mm. So let's have a quick
2: chat about that. So Mayor Aubrey James kind of lays it out. So uh, we talked about Aubrey James, um, played by Richard Kind. Last week, uh, he lays out what the plans are, right? So essentially, there's one plan, which was the Wayne's plan, which essentially that uh, Arkham will be knocked down and a cutting edge facility uh, to take care of the mentally ill will be uh, rebuilt in its place. Um, and the rest of the land around Arkham City, which I loved because I'm a gamer, and that's uh, one of the Batman games that i spent many, many hours with. Great reference. That essentially the rest of that will be devoted to housing for... um, Affordable housing, housing. social
0: housing, with retail, shops, and and so on. Yeah. Um, But essentially a planned new
2: district of Gotham. Mm Mm-hmm. And essentially, there's the, it's called out by by a uh, reporter who's in the room with, with Aubrey James that there's another plan that's gaining a bit of traction in the city. And the other plan is essentially to get rid of the asylum. It's been closed for 15 years. We obviously don't need it as a city. They clearly need it as a city. Yeah. Uh, but they obviously don't need it. So let's knock it down and turn it into a waste disposal area um, that the whole of what could be the future Arkham City would be used as waste disposal. It would be used for a place to put the rubbish. Um, yeah, landfill essentially. Um, and
0: these are the two competing plans. And these deaths of the councilmen are all connected to these competing plans. And who ultimately will win out in the vote in the council chambers? Yeah. But one of the things with this is that we never hear Gladwell, Richard Gladwell, say that he was hired by Moroni or hired by Falcone. Mm-hmm. Even though the burning councillor, Zella, makes reference to Falcone, all we are told by Gladwell is, I need to send a message. The person who's paid for me has said, I need to send a message.
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah it's a really interesting point that you bring up. And this really then started
0: me wondering about, well... Is he just simply working both sides of this? That you know he's happy to take money from anywhere, and it could
2: simply just be that. Definitely. Essentially, j- j- essentially Harvey justifies it, doesn't he? He says, "Well, it's Gotham. That could happen. It could be. It could be that Falcone and, and Moroni both paid for a contract killer. They both got the same one, um, and he's the one that's just a contract killer. He's just going to go out and kill whoever pays the money."
0: Exactly. And Harvey says a really interesting thing, which is after Captain Essen has just assigned the case to them, where he says, why kill councillor men? Because if you do, another one will crop up in their place asking for money to be bribed. This is Gotham. And in a sense, what you would expect is that the bribery would just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger Mm. for them to change their vote. And now in this case, these killings are happening, which for Harvey Bullock, experienced Gotham detective, realises that it's almost slightly Hydra-esque to an extent. You know, you kill one counsellor and another <laughs> one will just pop up in its place um, and put its multiple hands out for more money. Nice. That rather than um, killing them, you just buy them off or you buy them off at a higher price until they do what you exa- what you want them to. Mm. And that's kind of how you feel that Falcone would want to work this because he has been saying, you know, all these deaths cause... Uh, is bad for business and it it, it causes unease and everything gets unsettled and organized crime and good business and need a settled environment of Mm. some description and so then i thought is it then potentially oswald copperbot you have him teeing jim up that it is this battle between maroney and falcone at the start, down the alleyway, that I'll mm-hmm. be your snitch, I'll tell you everything. He, We see him later on in the episode doing a little phone call to to Jim saying about who one of the next targets will be yeah. and that this is actually a Moroni hit. He's the one that's saying it's a Moroni hit. Um, and again, we have the question over, you know, Moroni's exact instructions from the scene earlier about doing a hit. Is it to do with this whole councilman Um, Aspect because you never hear him talk about the death of the council.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's a really um, good point.
0: Is it Oswald? Has he teed up Jim to go down this line of inquiry and to set this up? And then I kind of thought it could also be Fish. We see a lot of things going on in this episode with Fish Mooney, you know, what's going on. But for me, I have a feeling it might be Oswald playing off both sides and he is using Jim as his. power card in a sense yeah. within the GCPD to influence the course of this investigation. Yeah. Um whilst he does something else towards Maroni that maybe doesn't have uh, Moroni's full attention because he's worried about this whole vote and maybe how the vote will go. So that's kind of my theory on this really sure. at the moment. Yeah. Um,
2: well let's let's step it through. So we got we got uh three attempted murders um plus the attack on Moroni's so if we take all four of those together, right? We've got the Falcone councilman Jenkins who gets killed and by stabbing through the through the eyeball and his his aide who gets killed. Uh we got Moroni's Zeller, uh, the councilman for Moroni, who gets brutally burnt in the uh, in the area of Arkham. We've got Mayor Aubrey James, who gets attacked in his home but not killed. Uh and we've got the attack on uh on Moroni's business think of four of those are orchestrated by Oswald. I think that's a really good theory. I think it's very possible that he he essentially chose the right councilman to send the message to Falcone that Moroni was attacking him, the right councilman to send a message to Moroni that Falcone was attacking his idea, and then attack James Aubrey, who essentially is the one that makes the decision of which way we're going to go. Send some chills up the spine of, of Mayor James that he makes the decision as to, who gets what when it comes to the redevelopment of Arkham? So, essentially, Oswald is in a bit of a power position now. Um, yeah, really, really good point. Yeah, I think potentially, you know, from beneath. Oh, sorry, and then kill off the uh, the manager of the of the restaurant so he can get a better job. Yeah,
0: yeah. from the shadows. <laughs>
2: and a the, suit. Yeah, and a ton of money.
0: Yeah. So from you know, from the shadows, he is maybe orchestrating um, elements of, of this. Because we don't really hear or see that it's necessarily, other than maybe with the mayor, mm-hmm. Mayor Aubrey, that that um, has been done by any of the two big dons, that these murders of the councilmen have been done by any of the two big dons, uh, Falcone and Moroni. Mm. And for me, it would make sense that Falcone would do it with money, um, certainly for politicians, rather Buy than... Off. Um, rather than by force yeah maybe it's real maybe it's fake but this whole theory um that drives jim and harvey's investigation about being maroney and being falcone trading shots between one another comes out the next day at the murder scene um of councilman zeller where essentially his ashes are still in the drum mm. he's completely fried Um and you know Harvey Bullock's there, kind of saying to Captain Essen, "I didn't say he was wrong uh, about this whole theory between Maroni and uh, Falcone. I just, I just wanted him to be. He wanted him to be wrong. He didn't want to start investigating these two big criminal players within Gotham uh, and this whole
2: uh, Arkham vote. And so, well, probably because it's a, a very new thing as well. It's a, it, essentially nobody." Kills councillors because they just ask for money and it's easy to pay them off. Exactly, yeah. and so Harvey Bullock is kind of slightly suspicious here as to why
0: Jim has kind of come to that immediate um, theory for this investigation as well. Mm. You know, he becomes a bit suspicious of where you know. Where are you getting your information from for this? But it's it's a good little macabre scene anyway that plays out in, okay. behind all of this with the fact that there is this smoking um, council Zeller. And just sort of in the background, in the drum, um, smoking away, Yeah. Um, complete toast. <laughs> um, and it, it's quite nice. And Edward Nigma comes in and um, talks love. about the connections between these two um, councilmen's death. Then, and that's
2: where we get within the episode this link. Yeah, yeah, I love Edward Nigma in this scene. I think it's really funny. I love his uh, his discussion with Harvey. Um, once again, he uh, he tries to pose a riddle to Harvey, and uh, and is shot down very quickly <laughs> by Harvey. Ed, what you got? I have a paradox for you. What? Well, a paradox, detective, is when you have. I know what a paradox is, smartass. What paradox? Uh, we paradox. Have, we we have a paradox. Uh, <laughs> we have a paradox. <laughs> what is it? Uh, a paradox is. It sounds like something directly out of uh, out of airplane to me. I just think it's a really good, a really good line. Li- really liking uh, Edward Nigbo as well uh, in this scene. But yeah, you saw, you saw the uh the may g- have gaping been, a hole. Yeah, in this. there may have
0: been dodgy forensics, or mm-hmm. I would probably say it's dodgy continuity mm-hmm. at this point, where the link between the two murders between Jenkins and Zella is kind of. Brought to the fore by Edward Nygma, um, uh, that it's you know this this wound in Jenkins and the wound to his aide's eye was from you know a a metal spike, a weapon. There was a sharp mm-hmm. metal spike because obviously Jenkins has got it through the the eye yep. as well as his aide. But you hear Edward Nigma arrive. Deliver this theory. You never see him around the body <laughs> yeah. of Zeller in the drum yeah. smoking away, and that to me is just a little bit of continuity. And then he, issue, and then he says, there?
2: "Yeah." And then he says that Zeller has also gotten the puncture wounds. Yeah, how did he know? Yeah. how does he know? Because he's still, to be honest, Gotham cops probably throw the bodies back in the exact same location. It's probably easier to bury them if you stick them back in the bucket. So maybe that's it, rather than a, rather than a continuity. So it was area. just you know, like you know,
0: even if yeah. say. Harvey and Jim arrived at the scene, and Ed- Edward Nigma was there, looking, poking around, found that puncture hole, mm-hmm. and said, "Oh, there was one in the councilman and his aide previously, and you get the link that way." Yeah. It, you know, okay, yeah, maybe he had been there two hours before mm-hmm. Harvey and Jim arrived, but it just was a slight bit of continuity error, which I think. Yeah, it's yeah. worthwhile pointing out. It showed I
2: <laughs> I was watching intently. I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed. <laughs> or, or either that, or Nigma is just that amazing a, a, a cop that he can actually see this from from distance. You know, uh, quite impressive. Um, well, let's talk about fish. Let's talk about fish Mooney's plan throughout this episode. It seems like a very parallel story. She's um, she's totally going down a different path. She seems to be just auditioning singers for uh, for a club to begin with. But very much, she's seeing what's happening with, um, with Falcone and Moroni, uh, and she obviously knows this is going to take her down if she doesn't have a plan. Essentially, we don't know what the plan is by the end of the episode. But I really like these the the, the the way that she's dealing with the singers. Um, you know, she got a got a girl up on stage who's singing an Echo and the Bunny Man song, um, and then asks her asks her the one the the first question. What's it the uh, the do you like girls or boys? um
0: come and seduce me come
2: and seduce me you know and
0: then okay. yeah yeah okay i'll pretend to be a, a boy yeah. kind of thing yeah this is a really intriguing storyline definitely
2: yeah yeah and you know it. It. i love this is the one piece that jumped out to me is just after the singer walks away she's never named in the episode but just after she walks away um butch gilzean questions what what fish moon is doing um why why she sounds like she got a good voice she's got a good set of pipes I know what's wrong exactly. with you? Uh, what's wrong with you why don't you just choose her to sing in your to sing in the bar and she says this line here
1: that's a good looking girl look at me i ain't looking for no girl i'm looking for a weapon
2: and many people have commented on the delivery of lines by jada pickett smith from the first episode this really reveals to me why she's been delivering lines that way. She's been in interviews before and she's talked about the fact that she's trying to create a character from scratch. She's never, you know, there is there is no fishman in the comic books. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have some kind of guidance that they've taken from the comic books. She's trying to create a character that could live in that world. Um, she's just let her mask slip in front of the only person she trusts, which she said in the first episode. She t- she says Butch Gilzean is not, for, is not returning, essentially. He's the one that she knows is truthful to her. At all times, and when he questions her authority and questions her her motives, she lets it drop and just goes for the as, as we as we heard there the I ain't looking for a girl, I'm looking for a weapon. You know that's that's real back to the streets. She's back to where she was uh, before she got to this position of power. It is. It's a great
0: line, and I, I love the click of the fingers beforehand and mm-hmm. the kind of the pointer. You come here right by where I'm about to speak. You know, it's almost. Yeah her version of whispering to uh, Butch Gilzean of her true plans. And it, it's it stood out to me as well mm-hmm. or being a really, this is a business end discussion that I'm having with you. Um, I would normally do it in my office, but you get here now and stop questioning what I'm doing because this is what I'm looking for, not a singer, even though that's what it looks like. And this is really intriguing, this, you know, this girl singer, it just yeah. looks like uh, an, an act for the stage for the Friday or Saturday night that's auditioning. Mm-hmm. And then you get this whole, it's not just simply the singing that she's looking for, but it's almost how um, this girl would um, seduce um, someone. Mm-hmm. And she kind of seems slightly unimpressed um, to an extent with her seduction yeah. uh,
2: technique. Yeah, just a bit. She went for a massage. like That's not really seduction, is it? <laughs> That's quite impressive. Okay, right. Maybe I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe um, I know. Like, I like I like the reaction, but I love. It
0: depends I, whether you got a knot in your shoulder? <laughs> or... that, that is
2: true. That is true. I like this. This first singer is, is very much. I'll do anything. I'll do anything to do this role. When she when we introduce the second singer though, um, she says all the right things. The second, the, the first singer, sorry, says all the right things. The second singer, when she's asked, is like, yeah, I don't know. How long have you been singing? Eh, a while. Do you want a job like me? Maybe. What would you do? Um, What do you need me to do? It's very different. So the the things that are said about the first singer are all the right things that you would expect someone to say. Things that are said by the second singer, Liza... Yeah, completely the wrong things that she says when she's asked the questions. You wouldn't, you wouldn't give her a job based on the back of an interview. And um, so I think that's. And what she can't up.
0: sing particularly well either. I like,
2: I like Swell Bend, the song that she does. A-
0: I'm not talking about the song. I'm talking about this is the opposite reaction that Fish Mooney has compared to the first. And that she's kind of I don't know. The pipes on this one is not necessarily as good as the previous one. Um and yeah, she's seeing um Susie and the Banshees, um, spellbound, mm-hmm. which finishes off. Um, whether that's important I don't know, or whether the Echo and the Bunnymen track, um, which is Ocean Rain yeah. um is important, we may find out.
2: Um, <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's just two great 80s bands that, that we finally got the right Maybe, to... to, yeah.
0: to start, Maybe, yeah. Maybe that is just simply that. Or whether, you know, we found the Porter's Head track as well mm-hmm. that um, had a connection to this war coming to Gotham. Yeah. Um, and just some of the lyrics, whether some of the lyrics of this are important to those characters or I think, the I think scene, ver-
2: we don't know. I think very much the Susie and the Banshee song is about being spellbound by somebody and obviously... Fish has seen something in this girl that she likes. She's spellbound. She's, yep. Yeah, I think that, um, that makes total sense. Well, I don't know what Ocean Rain might have to do with it. The... <laughs> uh, no,
0: I don't know. But Fish obviously likes
2: her seducing style as opposed to her singing. Absolutely. I like the singing though. Fish, what's wrong with you? She has a good set of pipes here as well, and something special. Uh, but yeah, it leads into the it leads into the wonderful. Personally, I I feel it's such an homage to uh, to Christopher Nolan. We're back to our. I'm to Christopher Nolan moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it leads into... Not uh, to Nolan. Yeah, it leads into Joker Watch.
1: All right. I'm going to cut to the chase. I like you both. But I only have one opening. You've got the talent, and you've got something else. I can't decide, so you two are going to have to do it for me. You want us to fight for it?
2: So Joker watch for this week is essentially the fact that they've essentially stolen what Joker did in Dark Knight, um, between these two singers, make them fight it out. Uh, Tell them only one of them can have a job and uh, give them a moment to fight it out and decide amongst themselves which one will take the job.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And this is, I mean... Are we still stretching? (laughs) No, I mean, it's a definite nod. I mean, the Joker in The Dark Knight comes into the room um, as a dead body in a black bin bag uh, because... One of the mobsters um, has put a hit out on him. Mm-hmm. Guys bring him in. He sits up, and he then kills this particular um, mobster. His two goons, the Joker, snaps the pool cue, hands it to them and says, I'm expanding, and you want this job, there's only one available. Fight mm-hmm. out amongst yourself. Fish Mooney here, essentially, minus snooker cues, pool cues, yep. um, is... There's only one job available. I like the singing from you, and I like your seduction technique. Now, which one of you wants the job? Fight for it. Mm-hmm. And it's ultimately the second girl, Liza, who who wins. It comes out on top after yeah. pummeling the other girl's poor head into yeah. the tonic. I really like how this scene is framed as well. I love the fact that it's at the Docklands. I love that uh, Fishmooney... Uh, and Butch are the sat on the bonnet of the car, yeah. just the headlamps going through as they're essentially on a recruitment drive. Yeah. And in this case, um,
2: it's Liza that uh, wins out. I love Gilzean's reaction, actually. I just think he's hilarious. Where It's just the little smile that comes across his face where he goes, this is the part of the job I love, watching two girls beat the hell out of each other. He, he obviously enjoys his, enjoys his job. I think one of the other important things... Um, of this particular
0: story arc through this episode as well, is that Harvey Bullock, as part of the investigation into the councils, goes to to visit um, uh, Fish Mooney just after mm. she's had the second audition with Liza. Um, and again, you get some really important insight, like she brought, that you know she goes, Falcone can't allow Arkham to slip through his fingers to Moroni, or he will be seen as, as weak. And Harvey Bullock, like, jumps on that immediately. That'll bring you down as well. And Fish just kind of says, you know, you don't need to worry about me. I'm okay, essentially. And, again, you just wonder. She's obviously putting some form of plan together. So, again, I did kind of have that question in the back of my mind for this moment. Well, is she there? Or is it Oswald trying to heighten the paranoia between these two guys? Because ultimately, both Fish and Oswald want to replace these two guys. And in fact, Oswald also wants to replace Fish Mooney and take out three. Fish Mooney certainly wants to take out these two big um, crime lords, Falcone and Moroni. So is she behind Gladwell, the hitman? I mean, who knows? There's a lot. Of, it's not necessarily straightforward. I don't think here, and that's what's really great about this episode, and what yeah. I loved about it has really got me thinking about the
2: motives behind all these different
0: people in a really in-depth way.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally, totally understand where where that would be coming from. Definitely, uh, for me, I think Oswald has learned a lot of the tricks of the trade from uh, from Fish, so he may be taking a, a similar style to Fish Mooney. I mean, he sets up a hit on the restaurant of Moroni here. Kind of like the way Fish set up a hit on the girlfriend of Falcone in the last episode. You know, he's setting up a hit on the most loved thing that Moroni has, blaming it on Falcone um, to kind of drive and escalate the, the violence and drive and escalate the war between these two factions.
0: Yeah, it increases the paranoia of Moroni and mm-hmm. this whole thing. Um, it's certainly a plan as well that we at least know for definite He's behind mm. because he sees the money being taken out back to the restaurant, and um, and then he's found with a bag of
2: that money in his possession whilst he's in the freezer. Yeah, yeah, hiding in the freezer like a penguin should be. Yeah, he yeah doesn't, doesn't mind the cold, obviously. <laughs>
0: no, but again, that's a really good reference because it completely passed me by on um, when we watched it, and it was only after you had said, "Yeah," I was like going well, that's very brave to get into a fridge or a freezer <laughs> that you can't get out of and that has, you know, one of the, the latches on it, yeah. so a commercial fridge. And then it was like, but he's penguin. He's a penguin. So. He, can, he can survive the cold. It's all right. <laughs> like, I like that reference, tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Um, definitely. Um, and then, you know, he has been hit. He gets a promotion out of this, mm-hmm. but we also hear... A real important conversation between Moroni and his kind of right-hand man Frankie, I mm. think his name is. Yep. Um. Were like again, it feeds into this idea of whether Oswald has been driving these murders of councilmen or not. But you know, for Moroni, he thinks Falcone has hit him. at the restaurant, and is obviously after revenge. He goes, you know, he wants to hit him back, and this time where it hurts, I want to hit the mouth. Mm. Like, what is the mouth? Is that Falcone? You know, is he saying, I want to hit the mouth, that is Falcone? Or, does he then mean the myrrh? Because what we see next is um, that Oswald phones Jim Gordon up to say that Moroni has put a hit out on the Yeah, And that then brings all the pieces of the investigation together, like um, for for Jim he contacts Harvey to go to the Murr's house, I think it is slash office, um, to protect him, because the cops, um, which are the campus Lazenby and Martins CLM, this, this card with CLM on it, this bit of evidence, um, was found, um, where Gladwell works, mm-hmm. and um, this tips them off, and they go and get to the merge just in time, essentially.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an interesting interesting way that they've way they've kind of set it up. Is it Oswald? That's just as you say. Is he the one, just the mastermind behind all this, and nobody's paying attention to him? Um, but uh, but the point about the about hitting him in the mouth, the mouthpiece of Falcone is. The mayor. The mayor is clearly in Falcone's pocket. Exactly. Uh, we mentioned it earlier on. One of the councilmen says, "I'll change my vote. I'll vote for Falcone's partner in crime, which is the mayor." Essentially, you know, uh, yeah. That's it.
0: Exactly. He's the mouth.
2: I really like the scene with with Jim turning up at the mayor's office and uh, and Gladwell or the unnamed killer arriving uh, arriving at it. It's a really good, uh, really good kind of almost a Terminator scene when they're chasing each other around the house, uh, where the killer is stalking jim around the house and, and he loses his gun it's uh it's really really good really really good scene
0: Yeah, it's a nice little action and um,
2: sequence yeah. i think but it really did feel like you know to me i had that little western vibe if you guys heard the interview that we did with danny cannon where he mentioned bringing in westerns into this into the show I, I thought of the killer with no name arriving into town he's coming to to stalk his victim essentially and you have these two cops uh or the two sheriffs of the town who've who go and take him down essentially. It really felt like a bit of a Western standoff uh, in, that, in that final moment with, and, with the killer.
0: And speaking of killers with no name, there is definitely a seven vibe coming from Richard Gladwell, mm-hmm. who is essentially someone who has died. Um, the unknown assassin has paid his rent on time, he's killed him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The dead preserved body five years old in the apartment Um, so real seven vibe there yeah. of
2: um it's the almost,
0: assassin the a- hitman
2: absolutely it's almost the lines taken directly from seven to describe uh, sloth i think it was wasn't it but yeah so that's that kind of this is what spurs the mayor on to take his final position on on what's going to happen to arkham which is what this whole episode is essentially about fundamentally it's about what's going to happen to arkham and what's gonna to happen to the development of arkham city so he makes the choice we talked about earlier on the two the two options he had available to him were make a cutting edge facility to take care of the mm-hmm. of the people that had particular mental health issues um or to to build uh a waste disposal area in in the city essentially what they decided to do was sc- uh, scrap the plan to do a cutting edge facility reopen arkham asylum as it was uh put in low income housing and put waste disposal in that area as well. So they've essentially created a slum. Yeah. It's uh, a compromise
0: between essentially the Wayne's old plan, which Falcone has taken up mm. and Moroni's counter plan. It's kind of a hybrid compromise between that because the mayor's gotten spooked and yeah, as you say, they've created um, a particularly grim
2: neighbourhood. So. Absolutely, and it's pointed out by by Bruce Wayne. We we have a couple of scenes with Bruce and with Alfred in in Wayne Manor, uh, where Bruce essentially points out that's the exact opposite of what his parents wanted. What they wanted was to create the best best facility for people who have mental health problems to give them to give the city some hope that if you need if you need to be cured, if you need assistance, we have the best facility here for you. And to develop some low-income housing so that people that don't have enough money to, to buy a house will be able to buy a home. Um, and now it's been turned into a slum and turned into the Arkham City from uh, from computer games, which is a, an absolute slum of violent villainy. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it, but
0: it's really piqued sort of Bruce's um, interest mm-hmm. in... You know, last week we saw him kind of realise that this detective element investigating is really important. And again he's kind of concerned about his parents' legacy, particularly his mum's. You know, he wants uh, to know um, that that is kind of almost being sort of honoured, in a sense. Like, that's a big concern to him. But also then, because of what's happened, because of what Jim comes to him and says, is whether then, as well, is there a connection between um, this stitch-up and the competing interests around Arkham and his parents' death because mm. they had proposals on the table for this whole area and all of a sudden it's become a battleground for, as Moroni describes, land. Land is the new um sort of thing and wealth and weapon
2: that I can use against Falcone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Really interesting that he's starting the investigation and continuing the investigation each week. It's 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 a really interesting idea. Uh, really liking it.
0: I think after that, then the only thing after that was um, was a brief scene where Fishmooney is sat with the um, uh, victorious Liza after she's beaten uh, the living daylights out of uh, the other unnamed, artist and unnamed unknown um, singer. Yeah. Unnamed singer <laughs> the the artist unnamed, formerly known <laughs> as Prince. Um, no. um and she you know she's learned she says falcone took a shot to the body a few more and he might just go down i got you just in time Mm -hmm. and that is a great scene until she says i got you just in time i wish she hadn't said that right Because now we know that this singer is potentially to add those additional shots to the body for Falcone to go down. Yeah, interesting. Um, Interesting. Okay, we don't know the specifics of it, but we know. I mean, we knew she was going to be a weapon. I don't know. I just felt that could have been held back somewhat. I don't know. Partly, I felt it could have been held back,
2: but um for for me i think that that scene confirms that fish is not the one involved in the deaths of the councilman and that she's protecting herself and she has decided to protect herself because of the deaths of the councilman um i think it's a really good scene for that uh, for that purpose i think it's just her it's just her kind of going "Uh oh i can see things are going down around me i need my extra plan i need my plan b that i told harvey i always have don't worry about me i have a plan b she's only just got her plan b now um Essentially, she's confirming that at the end of the yeah, episode. Yeah, me. kind of backup plan. Yeah, yeah. maybe. As I uh,
0: say, way. I just kind of thought. It, I again, it's a kind of a bit like with the blue mat. I wish that you kind of maybe be just been stretched, mm-hmm. um, over a few of the future
2: episodes, perhaps, perhaps. Um, but I think I think the one thing that it confirms is the fish. When she needs a plan, she gets it quick. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, which I like. the The scene that kind of uh, I struggled with uh, watching the episode. I think it's a, it's a funny scene. I suppose, but the cannoli scene at the end of the episode with uh, with um, Oswald <laughs> bringing some food for, for the criminals who just committed the crime. They all sit down, every single one of them don't question the fact that he's brought over a box of treats for them. Um, eat them all at the same time and then die from poisoning at the same time. It just feels a little, a little Tim Burton Batman. I suppose would be, it uh, would be the way that I put it. You see, uh, that's kind of which is why, a good thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. Well, mm-hmm. I kind of
0: quite liked it for that, and I love funny, but a little, a little silly. It that's is all. a little silly. It's, um, but it's also, I think, again, it's a reference to maybe um, certain portrayals mm. uh, of. Oswald Cobblepot mm-hmm. or the Penguin I can, see,
2: I can see when some people are joking that, that, um, that Oswald Cobblepot is the Joker uh, because he's doing these kind of crazy little, little things that you, he's doing. You yeah. see
0: I, I do think that it's a lightness of touch being brought to it but it, this to Gotham and I think in the spirit of Batman 66 mm-hmm. there I'm going to say it um, <laughs> it's bringing that lightness of touch to Gotham but I think uh, Robin Lord Taylor—he does straight out and out um, evil, creepy um, stuff incredibly well. Mm-hmm. But I think as well, he gets the balance right where he is doing something that is a slightly off kilter. Yeah, and whether it's Hello Jim. Old
2: friend, and just his whole mannerism, or I whether love it. it's I love that he repeats that on the phone to Jim. I think that's really fun. No, exactly. Hi old friends, exactly. <laughs> or
0: whether it's giving his three stooges who have just done um, a robbery for him, mm-hmm. you know, cannoli with poison in it, and just his face. He goes from being, "Here you go, I got you some cannoli. It's in a nice little pink box with a bow on it," and then as they start to eat it, his face is just like really sinister right? yes. and i love that he's bringing those different elements and i just think he marries them really really well together yeah, so i, mean, I kind of quite like that scene totally astounding. and i love totally the, the music i love the piano uh theme running over it i yeah. thought that was really nice as well so beautiful. that added to that scene for me
2: i think definitely definitely beautiful so that's that's the episode really
0: um yeah i mean is there
2: anything else that you um want to bring up yeah, a couple of a couple of kind of standouts here. We've got uh, we've got an introduction introduction to a few, little, a few little Easter eggs, I suppose. Um, so we've got Detective Alvarez um, for the first time has appeared in this episode. Uh, Alvarez appears in the Catwoman comic books um, the, of the New Fifty Two, kind of the current run of of the comics that are out there. He's quite a, plays quite a significant role. He's the person that invest is investigating and chasing down Catwoman uh, throughout a bunch of the a bunch of the issues. But one of the I suppose one of the reasons why i'm mentioning it is that this character gets moved into the mcu because of some of the investigations that he does he gets moved into the major crimes unit so i wonder will this mean that he he'll join uh, rena montoya and and chris in the mcu maybe because certainly captain Essence said he was doing a
0: lot of overtime
2: yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, that's
0: you know, sure. work absolutely. hard and uh, the rewards are endless. Or
2: to get out of the GCPD, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, one other one.
0: Yeah, what's the the other one?
2: Uh, the other one is um, Minx, all right? The character of Minx. So that's the guy with the big beard, big bushy beard. So
0: that was in the Gotham State Penitentiary.
2: Yeah, yeah, the guy who's interviewed by Harvey and Jim. Um, I had to look it up, but the minute I looked it up I was laughing because uh, he's he, there's a character called Mickey the Mink. Sullivan, uh, who appears in The Long Halloween, which I read last week. Some of our friends on, on Comic Book Time Machine just did a review of it for Halloween. Uh, the, the fantastic story arc that is Batman The Long Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, this character plays a part in, in some of the issues of it. He essentially is a character who is a leader of the gang called The Irish. Uh, I can say that. Um, in the book, they're hired by Carmen Falcone to eliminate Harvey Dent. So I wonder if that character is going to come back in future. Maybe he, I think he might be brought back by Karen Falcone when Harvey Dent enters the the picture. He very
0: well could do, and um, that would be really interesting to see. And yeah. hopefully, it's one of those things where you know he has been picked for that particular reason, not mm. just simply he's thrown in because it's someone that he is um has a, has a role maybe in future episodes. I mean, if he doesn't. Yeah, there's no harm done because it's a nice little reference in its own right. Absolutely. Um, but just the fact that it, there is a connection there with Harvey Dent is intriguing, given that Harvey Dent will be um very shortly um showing up in in Gotham. Yes. Yeah. Um,
2: have, uh, have anything else that you wanted?
0: I think the only other thing, and we've not really discussed it too much, but um, you know. Jim Gordon and Barbara Keane do have relationship uh, issues in this episode. Yeah, Very much um, seriously. Montoya gets um brought up um and this annoys Jim. And we haven't really we've kind of this this episode we've mainly focused on the main through line of this um this power play between Moroni and Falcone. So and interesting the
2: pos- and so and so well we yeah, definitely.
0: And the possibility that maybe Oswald has a hand in it, or even Fish Mooney. Mm. That, um, we haven't really discussed um, this other little element, I think, really, that it isn't a main thing running through it, but I suspect it will play out all, uh, in future episodes. But the, the whole distrust coming on both sides of this relationship were um, Barbara obviously wants to have Jim open up more to her um she asks him the question repeatedly, who is Oswald Gobblepond? Yeah. Um, and she wants to know. She feels it's her right to know. And Jim is kind of like saying, well, I just can't discuss this stuff with you. And then on the flip side of this, Barbara has revealed um, her past relationship with Montoya. And that has made Jim angry, not because necessarily that she's a woman, but that she lied to him and didn't tell him straight up that he, she maybe thought he would have a problem with that. And it, it, it leads ultimately to a scene in the precinct um of the GCPD where um, Barbara essentially says, and I suppose it's a very important moment for their relationship as to whether they can come back from this. Mm. Um, I'm hoping and I'm suspecting that they will do, where she says, well, I can't live like this, where I can't be part of your life, you know, through the rough and through the smooth and that i can't sort of be there and and help you and know about these things and jim doesn't say anything about oswald cobblepot when she asks again and she walks away because she's not prepared to go on like that so that's kind of a fairly big sort of um, character element to this show and um, but in a sense of total screen time it's much shorter yeah. but it it plays on from um all those discussions in previous episodes between Montoya uh, and Barbara Keane
2: and potentially for future episodes. Yeah too. absolutely the one the one kind of big piece here is that you know the allies that he has in the city are being stripped back away from him. Um he only he only really had Barbara he had his partner Harvey who he's lying to this whole time. Uh, he's lying to about the fact that he k- killed Oswald. You know, so wh- wh- where is Jim going to turn? You know, he's got he's got Bruce, he's got um, he's got Alfred, who are in this episode definitely is someone that he trusts and goes and and consults. Um, he's now lost Barbara, uh, by the look of this episode anyway. Um, who does he turn to when he's when Oswald is pressuring him and saying, "Trust me, uh, or kill me now"? You know, who, do, who does he turn to? Does he turn to Oswald and go, "You're the person I'm going to trust"? You know, really interesting point, definitely. Uh, the other piece I wanted to say though about about the episode is the direction in the episode. We we've been we've, T.J. Scott. His direction in this episode is very different to the last couple of episodes. It really does stand out as a as a really well well done episode, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I love the kind of shots that were done mm. um, here. As
0: I say, um, the the framing of, of fish and Butch goes in on the bonnet of the the limousine with the headlamps Mm -hmm. looking out as essentially there's two girls or two ladies, I should say, fighting, you know, with the the Docklands in the background. That is really, really nice, I think. And the way that's just framed, there's um, uh, Jim and Barbara in the precinct with this very mellow uh, sunset light coming through um Mm. is really nicely lit really well framed as well and i i think there's some really great elements and just the the intensity of that opening scene between jim and oswald in the alleyway
2: as well i mean that is really one of the great standouts. i think think it just really felt like the pilot again you know it it felt like it it didn't notice i missed it until i saw something like something like this episode um, I didn't notice I'd missed that direction, and, and yeah, I think I think it's been really good. And um, that's all I have for this episode. Anything that's all I have. I think if um
0: if you have any comments or any feedback on uh, episode four, Arkham, then of course please um send in your comments and thoughts. And if you have any thoughts on what we've discussed here um on the podcast, send it to feedback at podcast dot com. You can of course contact us. On any of the social handles that we have, Twitter. <laughs> social handle sounds bad, doesn't it? It does, really, doesn't <laughs> it? Um, social media handles maybe, okay, might go be for that. better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, on Gotham TV podcast, on Twitter, Facebook,
2: uh, Google Plus, Tumblr, as yeah. well. Yep. Yeah, thanks very much for uh, for listening to this episode. Uh, we can't wait for to hear your feedback. With that in mind, onto the feedback. You know I'm a man that shows appreciation when appreciation is due it's so a feedback of a bit of a different sort this time this this week um most certainly yeah yeah like
0: I mean there's you see plenty on um on Twitter Facebook you know really some great fans um putting in sketches drawings artwork of their favorite um member of the the cast, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's Edward Nigma, uh, Jim Gordon, Harvey Bullock, um uh, young Selena Kyle, who you name it, you know, some really good um, artwork. But we're also
2: aware of some um other kind of art in a different way. Absolutely, absolutely. One of our one of our followers and one of our friends actually on, on Twitter, uh, Lady J, um From episode one, when it was revealed there was a relationship between Barbara Keane and Renna Montoya, uh, our friend friend Lady J, uh, who's a DJ, uh, essentially set up a playlist on Spotify of songs that these two characters would have listened to when they had their relationship uh, the teenage uh, kitoya as she as she dubbed them. Yeah, um so we thought we'd share it with you guys. Uh we've got the, we've got the link to the, to the Spotify playlist in our uh in in our show notes. Uh go listen to it. It's really good fun.
0: It's really good fun. There's some really good tracks in there. Yeah. Um and certainly I kind of like the Sarah McLachlan stuff. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know where I became a fan of Sarah McLachlan, but I I did at some point. Yeah. Um, so it was really good, and you know we were bouncing back and forward about um, the tracks on the yeah. uh, whether maybe they should have a you know a an engagement uh, album mm-hmm. for. Uh, Jim and Barbara, and then a split up album, potentially the way things are going after this episode, uh, or maybe whether that needs to um, be developed as well. So it was really interesting because it, it's a musical thought on the relationship of Barbara Keane and René Montoya yep. before. Uh, Jim Gordon came on the scene, and it, it's a really interesting kind of idea, actually.
2: Absolutely. So, uh, so check out the hashtag Kitoya, uh, so K E A T O Y A. Yeah. Um, they're definitely shipping that, um, or just go in, go to our show notes, and go onto their Spotify playlist. It's really, uh, really good fun, uh, really good fun album. Um, right. That's it for feedback for this week. We don't really have a huge amount of time uh, this week, unfortunately. So we'll get some more feedback next week. Send your feedback to feedback at Podcast dot com. Um, and obviously follow us on twitter and, and facebook and send us some feedback on there absolutely and um, and we just finally have some breaking news um Ooh. that's happened um, we've got a breaking
0: news whilst we've Clucks been on uh, exactly we do
2: I'm, I'm i'm sorry to interrupt right now but we've been informed of some breaking news uh here in gotham
0: whilst we've been on uh recording uh, after this evening's episode um, it was confirmed that the Scarecrow will make an appearance in Gotham. So another classic uh, Batman villain uh, will be making his way to to Gotham. And right after Halloween, how well-timed is that? Absolutely. Now, from what I understand, it's um, occurred at Stanley's Kamikaze convention were Danny Cannon, Uh, exec producer, revealed that viewers would meet an adolescent Jonathan Crane. Um, This is coming from comicbook.com. Okay, yeah. Pretty trustworthy, yeah. Yeah. Um, And that the Scarecrow's alter ego, Jonathan Crane, would be an adolescent, would be in that age range of Selina Kyle and Bruce Wayne. Um, But interestingly that there would be a little change-up in the legacy um, to the Scarecrow by making him multi-generational um, okay. character. That, according to Danny Cannon, Jonathan Crane's father will torment a pre-Batman Gotham as the first Scarecrow.
2: Interesting.
0: Um, And that this... Uh, then development, obviously this kind of structural or thematic development as to how to introduce characters certainly ones which we found out at New York Comic Con Mm -hmm. where Danny Cannon said it's amazing how many of them don't have um, a a full Mm -hmm. origin or well-rounded backstory as to where they come from that this could be um, another little element of helping um yeah, that development.
2: What
0: do you think of that? What do you think of that as an idea? I think it's a usual comic book, graphic novel um way of dealing with these things. Whether it's like whether it's a reinvention, whether it's a reimagining or, okay. or whatever, this is a ploy I think that's used quite commonly in, okay. in comics. I mean, for example, you have with um Doctor fate okay for example, mm-hmm. you know you have um many people have taken on the mantle, many people have yeah. taken on the mantle. yep, yeah. and um, this could be the same thing interesting you, green goblin, you know
2: yeah yeah i think I think for me uh, i don't know I have, I have to i'll definitely be reading in more into this story in the next couple of days um but for me, I'm kind of wondering why you do it you've got scarecrow was minor league villain for Batman Uh, by the time Batman Begins came around. He was a very, very small uh, character that you wouldn't see very often at all. Um, And essentially his origin story was told in Batman Begins today. So I wonder why you would bring it into Gotham. Um, There's not many characters I'm precious about at all, and I'm definitely not precious about about, uh, Scarecrow, but he's the one character that's appeared in all three of Christopher Nolan's films, and I feel he belongs there feel he's the he's the one character that belongs to the Nolan universe al- almost more so than the comic book universe for myself i i just kind of feel there's hundreds of thousands of characters out there and i don't think scarecrow needs to be introduced and i don't think there's a need for a scarecrow in this version of gotham uh it's a bit more of a an obscure character and again a bit more of a a crazy character to throw in there there's many other characters could have used well, hey, let's, hey, we'll see how it plays out. Absolutely. I mean, let's just like.
0: say this is breaking news. This is provisional. Mm-hmm. I'm sure potentially there will be more details. And that at the moment, what we're aware of is that it's an adolescent Jonathan Crane, mm-hmm. the Scarecrow. However, he may get introduced. Yeah. And like if we're thinking about it, we still have only seen an adolescent Ivy Pepper for one episode. So that's still very much on a back burner. Yeah. And then it depends how they
2: deal with that multi-generational... Of course. Um, I, I, as I've said in the past, thing. every single character that's in the Gotham universe, and you know, in the Batman universe, exists within Gotham. So of course they were children, and of course they were adolescents, and of course they were adults before any of this stuff happened. So of course there will be a Jonathan Crane in the, in the universe, and I'm delighted to see that they will be referencing it. I'm really intrigued to see how it goes. Excellent. So there's breaking news. Let us know your thoughts on that. We'll say it again. Feedback Gotham TV Podcast. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for listening. It's been a great discussion. Some really
0: nice interesting breaking news there. So thank you so much again for listening.
1: Gotham TV Podcast. Do not cross Alan and through the halls It sends you spinning You have no choice Stuffs, variety, dance, we
2: are entranced. Spellbound, spellbound, spellbound. Woohoo! And wow, I, I, I don't talk about numbers very much. Twenty two million, wasn't it? <laughs> Spoilers, yes. 22 million, yes. <laughs> they uh, they have announced that 22 million people saw the pilot episode of Gotham. Wow. Which is phenomenal numbers. Uh, I think it's the first time I've ever seen numbers reported in this way.
1: Woohoo!
2: <laughs> 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 uh, wrong
0: TV show. But comments on a postcard. What job do you think Derek has? I Does know. this involve a numbers... B numbers or C numbers? (laughs) Maybe. Does it involve A statistics, B statistics, or C statistics?
2: (laughs) On to the next (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: one.
2: But being that Barbara Keane has pretty much been like Rapunzel for the last couple of episodes, where she's been staying in the apartment for so long, she's probably pretty delighted to see someone turn up at the door that isn't Montoya, who's broken in, uh, essentially, with her old (laughs) key. Um, So she must be delighted to see anybody, really. Um, I would say so. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) um, Which are the Campus Lazenby and Martins CLM, this big... um, bit of clue yeah it's a raging clue and um, this this bit of evidence <laughs> <laughs>